0: You're tuned in to CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta. Broadcasting from Treaty 7 land.
1: Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary, the show that explores the globalization of electronic dance music from the perspective of a rural Alberta boy turned raver. I'm your host and resident Rave Dad, Paul Brooks. Rave Dad's Diary broadcasts on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary at the University of Calgary campus and community radio station located on Treaty 7 land. I acknowledge the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Siksika, the Pagani, and Kina First Nations, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Welcome to episode 24 of Rave Dad's Diary. Today... I'm chatting with Nanak Sodhi, aka So Divine. He's a film and TV composer, and he also makes sick trap beats. Lately, he's been blowing up his Instagram with content from his studio. Follow him at So Divine. That's at S O D H I V I N E. Nanak just wrapped up his MBA at Queen's University, and he's back in Calgary. I wanted to find out what he's up to next, so we caught up over Zoom. You're taking a program, uh, and one of the classes you were in was on design
0: and uh, focusing on luxury brands. Tell me about that. That's right. So I was taking a class called the Anthropology of Luxury Brands. And what we were doing is we were actually studying the human psychology slash evolutionary aspects to luxury brands. Uh, It's interesting because technically a Louis Vuitton bag has the same utility as a bag from Walmart. Like it'll carry the same amount of items, but it's priced, you know, a hundred times more and people pay. So I really wanted to understand the psychology behind that and then also how that applies to music because music is also very psychological. And it was it was uh we learned quite a bit, and I think I know myself a bit better through <laughs> through that experience. Not that I'm into luxury brands, but just human motivations.
1: Well, I want to talk about your work as a production and kind of tie it to this this other area of, of interest here. You're you're an incredible producer, and so what what do your current studies have to do with your musical career and aspirations?
0: I love that question. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the great music producers, I think Quincy Jones might have said this, uh, but he said that you know music is like seventy percent soul, thirty percent skill, something like that. And to me, that soul piece comes from how you come across in music and how you are perceived by people that listen to you. It's not just your sonic recording. It's it's you as a complete person, as a package, as a brand. With my current studies with the MBA and also the luxury brand stuff, I think I've gotten more of an empirical insight into that 70%, into that soul piece, uh, into that... How do you come across and how are you in relation to everything else in the industry? So getting that insight on how marketing actually works, how branding works, the psychological aspects of all these things, I think translates directly to music. Like
1: many artists, your music seems to be more popular in places that you don't currently live Uh, Where does your music get listened to the most currently?
0: So my music right now, it's interesting because I put out an EP late last year and I got picked up by a couple Spotify playlists in India. And suddenly my followership in India went way up. So right now that's India. People in India have been listening to my stuff way more than anywhere else around the world. It's an interesting, strange experience, you know, uh, It just feels cool to be heard by people that, you know, on the other side of the planet.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, is it like, is it kind of uh, like, like, is it only that feeling or is there also kind of a feeling of like, well, if I can get a track in rotation in India, how do I get that same sort of attention in, in a North American audience.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's, <clears throat> I mean, I'm from Canada, of course, and so for me, Canada is home. So when I think, yeah, people are listening to me in India, it's almost like uh, it's not it's not like physically real for me yet in Canada. So it makes me want to push further. It makes me want to push harder, but it also gives me some insights into how to push further, and how to push harder. Here's something that worked in India. Can I bring it back here? And then that's where you get into that 70% soul piece where it's like, we've got the music. How's it coming across? Where is it coming across? And how can we enhance that to get to our audience and get them to actually buy in or follow? (laughs) Let's listen to a track. Can you set one up for us? All right. Let's listen to Makabala which is one of the tracks is a leading track from my last EP future Bollywood trap sounds and it's got a sample from uh A.R. Rahman from the 90s who's this legendary Bollywood composer this is like you know top of the charts kind of track when it came out in the 90s thought I'd bring it back and I thought I'd spice it up so let's have a listen
1: to Rave Dad's diary and my guest today is Nanak Sodi. That's right. How you doing?
0: I'm good. You know, it's it's cool to be back in CJSW studios uh after a year and a half. Yeah, no
1: doubt. You were uh you've you've been a host on CJSW and you've been a volunteer with the station for for some time, um but most recently you were uh a host on Desi Vibes. Um, That's right. Which uh, is unfortunately not not programming at the moment. But uh, what do you remember about uh, your experience? You know, coming into the station and, and uh, programming that show.
0: I just was uh, overwhelmed by the amount of love and affinity everyone at CJSW has with each other and with the community. It's unreal. I think CJSW is incredibly special and when i went to when i moved to kingston ontario to do grad school at queens i was while well, i was volunteering at their local um radio before it shut down due to covid and as soon as i mentioned i'm from cjsw they were like oh my god you're from cjsw that's like that's like royalty in community <laughs> radio
1: <laughs> you
0: had clout
1: from cjsw Amazing.
0: absolutely yeah And even Desi Vibes, that that show had been on air since, like, 1998 or something like that. You know, super long-running. And just being a part of that legacy, being a part of that narrative was amazing.
1: Tell me about the piece of music that we we just listened to. What what are the musical influences that are in that track?
0: So this track um, is from Bollywood. So it's from mainstream Bollywood. This is not... uh, The sample for this track, sorry. The sample for this track is from mainstream Bollywood. It's not Indian classical. It's not traditional music. It's mainstream Bollywood music from the 90s. And it reflected um, a lot of cultural elements in Bollywood from the 90s. A.R. Rahman, the composer for this track, really pioneered digital music. And he was one of the first composers to come onto the scene... Uh, with, like, full DAW, like, digital DAWs and things like that. Um, for for those who, list, who are listening, a DAW is basically the program that's used to integrate all the sounds in a composition. And he was doing it completely digitally, and he really led the pack for innovation in Bollywood. So this particular track is from one of his earlier works, and it's got you know, some background elements to it that are Indian. It's got like that iconic chant that, that, you know, is being sung in an Indian way. And it's got like those claps. It feels like a, it feels like very much like a organic uh, world music sound. Is, is sampling
1: something that, uh, is, uh, you know, uh, a common device in, in, uh, Indian popular music currently? Like, is it similar to, like, when, uh, you know, we you, like, might sample a track and you're showing, like, your respect? Is it kind of, like, perceived in a similar way? Or is what you're doing, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, con- controversial? How, how is sampling viewed?
0: Well, right now in Bollywood, definitely sampling, or not just sampling, just remixing in general is very much in style, almost like too much in style, where everyone seems to be doing it. Um, Back when I made this record late last year, I think that was a time where a lot of sampling and remixing was happening. But traditionally, sampling has not been a big part of Bollywood music. However, uh, adapting existing works from all around the world and bringing them to the Indian audience has been... Uh, very big thing. Like, even if you look at the 80s, um, one of the best-selling records in, in India, actually the, one of the best-selling records ever, was called Disco Disco Divani, which was um, the music producer's name, Bidu. It was his attempt to bring disco to India back when disco was happening. Uh, and that ended up exploding to be one of the best-selling albums of actually of all time. And so, I think the Indian audience has an appetite for adaptation, for sampling, for bringing new styles um, and mixing with their own. It's kind of (laughs) like it's kind of like blending all these different tastes makes it taste better.
1: Yeah, you know i I don't know much about dance music, um, you know, outside of. The like main uh, areas of North America and and Europe. So, can you tell me a little bit more about the sounds uh, of of the artists and like the, the palette of sounds that they're that they're using um, currently?
0: Absolutely. Right now, if we're looking at if we're talking about Bollywood, Bollywood music has almost always been very dance-centric. That being said, the role of a song is not just a song in Bollywood. It actually needs to play a part in a film. It has to play a part in a narrative. And the tracks need to be choreographable for the film. Right? So, it's a it's a need. Yeah, if it's a dancey track, it's going to look impressive on the screen. So, back you know since i want to say the 60s 50s like early bollywood you know india got independence in 1947 so we're we're talking like very very early film in india dance has played a huge role you know there's indian classical dances um that have been going back hundreds if not thousands of years so it's a really big part of indian culture and traditionally um uh, if you look at indian classical instruments they're not very um overwhelming in their in their loud rhythm capacity right like we we can't really compare tabla to like uh large drum percussion so typically dance has happened through melodies and and different um you know softer rhythms but now moving into the modern era dance in india has become a lot harder sounding it's become a lot more you know progressive in its nature and its arrangement um it's it's really interesting because the scene for world dance music is always a reflection of two different narratives it's the reflection of their traditional narrative you know indian classical or any country that you're in and then it combines that narrative with dance music narrative like north american european dance music so you'll see this huge interesting combination of these two narratives coming together and uh creating something that neither parties have ever heard before and, and that's exciting
1: you seem to be really yeah excited about like cross cultural pollination in, in dance music
0: yeah definitely i think it's for me, like, I love North American, European dance music. I grew up listening to it. But then I also grew up listening to, you know, that those Bollywood cassette tapes on road trips, right? Where there's no, there's no drum machine. There's no synthesizer sometimes. It's just Bollywood melodies. And bringing those two together, I think, opens an arena where those two cultures can have a conversation and create something that's like... Symbiotic. Um, without using fancy words, it just creates cool music you can dance to with a different flavor.
1: Let's listen to another track of yours. Uh, set set up a track for us.
0: So let's have a listen to this track. It's called Triple Undercover. It is featuring one of my great friends Raginder, who is an Indian classical violinist. And this track, you can actually hear the two cultures having a conversation with the Western culture. That's how the track starts off. And then you see this violin Indian classical melody coming in on the chorus. Um, I hope you enjoy it.
1: You're listening to Rape Dad's Diary on 90.9 FM CJSW. That track, uh, Triple Undercover, uh, is that name a reference to something? What is that?
0: That's funny you ask. Um, Triple Undercover, I actually don't even remember how that came about, but... It was a bunch of my friends hanging out and we were, I think we, we just watched like a spy movie or something like where you had to go undercover. I, I know that sounds like something I just made up right now, but I, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> that was the case. And we just got in the studio, I had an idea, started writing, i and that's what happened.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like the name and it's a great track. You recently licensed some music to Bell Media. Tell me about that experience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, right now, um, I am writing music for Bell Media. So, that's TSN and CTV. My background is actually in film score and writing for picture. So, I've written scores for over 14 films, um, you know, over 10 years. So, I've got a lot of experience just writing music that is not to be heard kind of by itself. Uh, It's supposed to play a supporting role for, for a narrative. And recently I decided to bring that to television and I signed a deal to write music for Bell Media TV. It's been amazing so far. Uh, Writing music for TSN has been cool because I grew up watching like TSN Sports Center. I grew up watching the top 10s and I'm uh, it just gets me excited. Yeah, I'm writing I could be writing music for the next top 10 reel. Although <laughs> I don't know where it's going to end up, but it's cool.
1: That is really cool. Uh you know because like being able to uh perform live right now or or DJ in front of an audience um you know, we're still not clear on when that might be an opportunity, but uh, what, what does it feel like when you get your music, you know, synchronized, uh, to use a, a music industry term, in a film? Uh, what, what does that feel like when you see your, uh, you know, your, your creative vision uh, jiving with something you see on a screen?
0: Well, firstly, it's incredibly legitimizing, for sure. Um, with film... TV or film, the one thing that a composer really needs to look at is the director's vision. The director is the quarterback on this team, and you really need to align with them and make sure that their vision comes to screen how they would like it to. And in that translation process, the composer is kind of the translator, but in that translation... Adds their own fingerprints to the final piece, so it I always feel honored that you know someone has allowed me to to have my fingerprints on their vision and trusted me with their vision on that. It's very fun, very challenging, uh, very emotionally exhausting sometimes because you're trying to induce an emotion into a sound. Well, the only way you can do that is if you feel that emotion while you're creating the sound. So, and it's a very, like, um, almost like a a different kind of creative process that allows you Mm. to express differently.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily think about the... uh... The emotional labor that would go into it, but I mean if it 's like an intense scene or an intense uh, topic that you 're covering, uh, yeah, you probably take on some of those emotions in, in that creative process
0: absolutely like the The music is what sets the tone if you think about any um, you know connecting this back to dance music or connecting this back to Bollywood or world music or just film music in general. If you've got a very serious scene on 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 picture and you put funny music, well, suddenly it's funny, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or if you put have some really funny thing happen and you put serious music, suddenly it's sad. So the composer really needs to have a high level of um, sensitivity to emotions and understanding of the characters. Again, it's it's like a different way of expressing yourself musically, and I that's how I started making music. And so it feels good to be able to keep doing that.
1: How have the, how how has the, the pandemic and the uh, what it's done to the music industry influenced your thoughts and goals about working in music?
0: I love that question. I think it's, it's interesting because while I was, uh, this past year when the pandemic you know happened, I was in grad school. I was doing my MBA. I was learning about business. I was learning about strategy. And during that time, the pandemic happens and it makes everyone in every industry question things that are going on. However, with music, it really made me ask the question, what is the purpose of music? Why has music existed? what's the function? what's the quote unquote product in music and what i you know what I could come to was that music was um, was a way that you could put emotion onto time. you know art is how you can put emotion onto a physical you know, painting or a sculpture, right? Music is how you can put emotion onto time itself. Mm. And the only way you do that is by performing music. either perform it live or you perform it via recording. And the live aspect was gone, (laughs) right? Nobody's performing live. People aren't even gathering anymore. So I had to think, what arenas is music being performed in? and how is it being consumed. And that changed my perspective on how I'm approaching music. And it changed it to the side of I need to be performing even as a producer. I need to be performing in an arena that's compatible. And right now, it seems to be that's online. That seems to be on social media and it seems to be on, you know, TikTok, Instagram and YouTube twitch you know there's so many different ways that music can be performed and it's it's fundamentally shifted the industry i think for the better because when live music does pick up you're gonna have hopefully a generation of musicians that are more uh, adapted to uh, performing online whether that's in on instagram or live
1: yeah, no doubt. Um, so you don't think that uh, the, the online elements are going anywhere?
0: I mean, I've seen my music blow up in India through online means. I did not have any presence in India before that in the sense of marketing at all. Yet, you know, I this market just emerged for me. I can only see that amplifying. And mm. I, I can only see that creating more options for musicians. You know, if I transport myself back to 1975, if you're a musician, you really only performed live or you convinced a company to pay for your recording and distribution, a record company, right? Those are the only really two options you had. In today's day, we've got those two options and we've got this Musician entrepreneurship option that's really fueled through this online medium. So I don't, I don't really see online going away. I think it's only going to get better for musicians and for listeners.
1: Let's listen to another one of your tracks. What are we going to listen to now?
0: So this track is called Sun. And it's featuring one of my great friends, Celci, Calgarian, uh, and two of my other friends on production, Collage and Fu Manchu, uh, the wizard himself. (laughs) We have a little production crew here. And we... uh, Well, before the pandemic, we used to gather every Sunday and we had this um, thing called Studio Sundays. And basically, we'd all gather... At uh, the Wizard Palace, which is a studio, Uh, my friend Kevin, who graciously lent us his space so that we were, you know, creating there, gathering. And this is one of the tracks that just kind of, you know, I had this, uh, well, not just me, all three of us kind of reviving. We recorded something with Celsey there. Then I took it away and I worked on it over the year in Kingston. And I changed a bunch of it, changed the arrangement, and voila! This is the final piece. Uh, it's called "Sun," featuring Salsi. Check it out.
2: Fresh beef, Sun.
1: Listening to Rave Dad's Diary on ninety point nine FM CJSW. My guest today is Nanak Sodi, and we're talking about music. And it's just such a pleasure to see your face over Zoom. Welcome to Rave Dad's Diary.
0: Thanks so much, Paul. You know, it's funny. Um, I think around, I want to say, more than five years ago, before I did CJSW radio, before all this stuff. I was driving home, and I heard your old show—the the, the super old show that you had on. I think it was techno. I, I, I forget.
1: Was it a morning show or an evening show? I
0: think it was an evening show.
1: What will the neighbors think? Like yes, yes. On a on a Friday.
0: That was the show, and I remember hearing that in my car, and you know, you said you could email me, blah blah blah. And I think I emailed you like six or seven years ago. And recently, I found that I found this the book that uh, I wrote your email down, and I was like, "Huh, I've got Paul on my radar since before all this stuff." <laughs> Full
1: circle moment. That's Crazy. so good to hear.
0: Crazy. It's a
1: small world, you know. The, the Calgary's music community is is uh, small, but I mean Canada's music community is small, and. Uh, it's, 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 it's nice. I like it that way.
0: Yeah. It's small in like a good way. It's Yeah. It's not small in like a there's nothing to do way. It's more like. I mean, that's it, my favorite
1: thing about, I think, dance music in general is you can um, quite often reach out to somebody and just sh- say that you share an interest in that same thing, and it can spark up a really cool conversation, and uh, uh so uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I love hearing stories like that, or people who, like, listened to the show back in the day, or we had some sort of interaction, and you know, uh, that's great, because it all, I mean, it, what goes around comes around, and here we are talking on CJSW today. That's right. For the last few minutes of the show here, I want to talk to you about dance music, and I want to get you to look into your crystal ball and uh, just tell me about your thoughts about dance music moving forward. Um, You uh, are just so keenly uh, aware of dance music because you're a producer and a consumer of it, but tell me about how you see the trends changing in the way dance music sounds Mm -hmm. and, and where you think it's going.
0: Oh man, that is a, that's a big question. I, I think, well, if we look historically how dance music's evolved, how it's changed, um, you look at like the giants of dance music, like Nile Rodgers, you know, Bernard Edwards, um, you know, even borrowing from like soul records like James Brown, like there's so many influences that come into dance music. But traditionally in the past, dance music had been very rhythm heavy. It had been very, um, you know, in certain instances, melodic. You look at, you know, ABBA could be considered, you know, dance music. Totally. If you look at those melodies, the reason they were able to penetrate the market the way they did is because they sounded great on really any speaker system that you played them on. Right. You you play Dancing Queen on even your iPhone and it's and it gets to you right. That changed w- with EDM because we had these amazing speaker systems everywhere you know in our homes in our cars. Uh, we had high fidelity sound and we had the medium to play that. We had you know MP3s. We had our iPhones. We had amazing headphones. And lastly, we had huge concerts with giant speakers and when you see EDM festivals like Tomorrowland you see this like wall of subwoofers and just huge bass and the power of that music coming through and music evolved to to cater to that you know dance EDM dance music it's super bass heavy and what's happened now with the pandemic well, nobody's going to concerts, and nobody has a giant uh, wall of subwoofers at home. Hopefully, not. Uh, <laughs> and so, I, I see it coming a little bit back towards that m- melodious, um, lyric, lyric heavy uh, dance music. You know, I'd love mm. to see something similar to ABBA, similar to you know Good Times by Chic, that kind of music that doesn't have to rely on that kick drum driving you it can rely on amazing lyrics amazing melodies i think personally that's what's going to come back and maybe even some um cultural content coming in hopefully through europe um through asia and well north america of course the uh, the final integrator for all these <laughs> all these tastes you know you are
1: so knowledgeable, like when I hear you talk about uh, many uh, eras of dance music, I'm wondering what era is the most influential on you personally?
0: Oh, man. Um, You know, lately, it has been more like disco music in the sense of, you know, as we talked about Chic, you know, even, uh, even before that. But I think growing up we used to listen to or not by we i mean like my family had recordings of it's not that we were going and purchasing these specifically we just happened to have them a lot of 90s um 90s techno music almost like not even techno like fat boy slim that mm. kind of stuff you know like uh I I can still, I can still hear like that right here, right now, right here, right. Like I just (laughs) chemical brothers. Yeah. Like chemical Brothers Like I just love that stuff. I think that era, that era that, you know, had that electronic element to it, but then also had the instrumental element to it. I think that kind of laid the foundations for me as a producer that I've then built upon. You know, even when I started to produce music, I produced music fully in software. I didn't start on like, you know, violin lessons for 10 years and then starts making music. No, for me it was GarageBand was my instrument. The first year I started playing music in grade 8, and then in grade 9 I became a dr- drummer in the in the high school band. <laughs> right? So I think Chemical Brothers, Fatboy Slim, like those guys were who I looked up to when I was younger. I, I, I
1: want you to leave us today on your opinion about what the most important ingredient in dance music is. What do you think is the most important ingredient? What's the most secret of the secret sauces that will make a track?
0: oh man um heavy questions today huh paul this one (laughs) i think i think no pressure (laughs) you know this is the question that every producer thinks and wonders about and constantly is analyzing for me it really comes down to three main elements and i know you mentioned one ingredient um and I'll tell you what I think is the most important one as well. But the three main elements that I think contribute to a track, being a dance, you know, dance number, are groove. The track's got a groove, and that's really the percussion and the bass. Those two have to be kicking. Uh, the groove, the some kind of emotional content so it's like melody, lyrics, uh, things like that that provide that emotion. And lastly, relatability and how current it is. How does it fit into the times? Mm. And I think out of those three things, you know, the only thing that hasn't really changed, and I guess the only thing that can, like, I guess, stand alone to make you dance is groove. (laughs) Like, you could just play a drum circle and people would dance, you know? That is evidence enough. So groove, I would say, the most important ingredient in dance music.
1: (laughs) Groove is in the heart, as they say.
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) I've really enjoyed speaking with you today and having you walk us through some of your music. I'm a big fan. Thank you, Nanak, for speaking with me.
0: Thanks so much, Paul. I am very honored to be on this. Um, Really appreciate it. And I'm um, I love this hour that we had.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, I will have you back uh soon, and please stay in touch with your musical plans.
0: Sounds great. take care.
3: I'm going to go to the carriage, I'm going to go to the carriage, I'm
4: Episode
1: 24 of Rave Dad's Diary is coming to a close. Thank you to my guest, Nanak Sodhi, a.k.a. So Divine. Follow him on Instagram, SoundCloud, and all of the other socials. Rave Dad's Diary is written, produced, and hosted by Paul Brooks. This show is produced on Treaty 7 land at CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, Alberta. Season 1 theme music is Orchestral Lab by Guido, released on Punch Drunk Records. The Rave Dads Diary logo is by Homesick. Follow Rave Dads Diary on Instagram. I'll be back next week with a new episode featuring DJ Star Eyes. Stay safe, be kind, and I'll see you next week.
4: Reference Desk East Meets West with some Shaolin funk. Welcome to the Reference Desk, a feature dedicated to shining a light on singles of note, albums of particular interest, and artists that are just worth talking about. My name's Andrew Baldock and today I've pulled out two albums. Both are collaborations between acclaimed virtuoso guzheng player and composer Bei Bei He, and American multi-instrumentalist, producer, and video game score composer Sean Lee. Together, these two musicians blended the very different genres of traditional Chinese music and the funk. So let's talk about just who these two very different musicians are. Firstly, Sean Lee began his music career playing drums for the gospel choir of his local Baptist church in Wichita, Kansas. There, he broke away from the cheesy corporate rock and line dancing sensibilities of his peer group and found his love for funk, soul, and R&B. After some racially charged disagreements with the aforementioned peer group, Lee decided it was time to get out of Dodge and head to the big city. After relocating to L.A., Lee mostly focused on building up a body of work, playing with various bands, production collaborations, tours, and a number of different day jobs. L.A. eventually proved to be not quite the scene he was after, so he packed up and moved to London. After some failures and some successes, most notably becoming the most sampled drummer of his generation, thanks to his involvement in the Planet of the Breaks sample collection, Lee finally got his big solo break with Wall of Sound Records. Since then, Sean Lee has put out a whopping 25 albums and has done soundtrack work for Rockstars, Bully and The Getaway, as well as a few film scores. Speaking of film scores... Bebe, also known as Bebe He or Bebe Monter, is a very accomplished studio musician, and includes under her belt the 2020 Mulan soundtrack, Battlestar Galactica, and Mysteries of Ancient China. She's worked with Christina Aguilera, Sam Dot Dream, Jessica Ficio, and contributed music to the Age of Empires video game series. Unlike Sean Lee's wide range of instrumental proficiencies, Bebe is a specialist, She's a virtuoso Gujang player. The Gujang belongs to the Long Zither family of instruments, which includes the Japanese Koto, the Korean gayageum, and the Mongolian Yatug. Pardon my pronunciation. She fell in love with the instrument at first sight and began playing at the young age of seven years old. Her passion followed her into adulthood, and she majored in the Gujang at UCN Beijing and the Hong Kong Academy of the Arts. Now located in L.A., Bebe continued her musical education at several California post secondaries and is now the director of her own music school, Lotus Bud Gujang Academy. So let's get into the collab, shall we? Bebe and Sean Lee have done two albums together. The first is titled Into the Wind, and the second, Year of the Funky. Both albums are fantastic showcases for both musicians' dramatic soundtrack styles of music. Songs like Into the Wind, Whiskey Waltz, Soft Dream, and For Your Smile all feel like they would be right at home in some Chinese-flavored original film soundtrack. Zhang may not be your first thought when you think dance music. Don't underestimate the funk prowess of Sean Lee or Bebe's extensive musical education. Numerous songs on both albums, but particularly Year of the Funky, have absolutely infectious tunes. notable thing about Into the Wind and Year of the Funky are that they don't really resemble other titles you'd call Asian fusion where often the Asian musical elements are more or less tacked on as a sort of gimmick rather than the main course these two works are a masterful genre bending experience with the funk and soul grooves uplifting and supporting the Gujang melodies and the Gu following along when those grooves really dig themselves into your ear Fortunately, Sean Lee and Bebe both appear to be the kind of musicians that are always looking ahead to their next projects. There doesn't seem to be any interviews to be found online of the artists specifically talking about their experiences making these two albums, beyond a simple mention that they, well, made the albums. So we'll have to call the episode at that. If you dig this grooved-up style of traditional Chinese music, take a look into Sean Lee's Ping Pong Orchestra, where he's grooved up other styles of traditional ethnic music, classical, and even his own version of radio hits we all hear day in, day out. Keep your ears peeled. You never know when the reference desk will be hit